Welcome, friends, uh, back to Empty Cloud Monastery. Um, I'm Aya Soma, and I'm here with uh, Bhante Sutasu, uh, who will be sharing some words of Dhamma this evening on Mara. Um, so this was actually a topic requested by one of our viewers, and um, Bhante was volunteered or was voluntold either <laughs> to share some words of Dhamma uh, on the subject matter. So just a reminder that you're always welcome to um, yeah, uh, express your requests on any Dhamma topics that you might want to explore further. And um, we can see if any of the resident monastics uh, want to share some, some words on it. So welcome to Sam, Roy, Gita, Jayanta, and Poonam. Welcome, friends. Um, so I believe Bhante will start by uh, guiding us in meditation practice, and then we'll be sharing some words of Dhamma. So I'll pass it on to Bhante Sutasa. Thank you. So we can start by getting in a comfortable upright position. And uh, technically there's no such thing as a comfortable position. So get in a uh, mildly uncomfortable position. So shoot for a relatively low level of discomfort. Uh, but with the recognition that there's no such thing as a comfortable position. So once you've decided on a posture, then just resign yourself to it. Uh, one of the important um, qualities of mind which makes samadhi much easier is giving up on the quest for a better position. So go ahead and take a minute or two to adjust your posture and get settled in. But then once you're settled in, just give up on finding a better position. Accept that this is just the way your body's going to be. Uh, for the next few minutes. So bringing your hands to rest in your lap. You can let your eyes close or keep them slightly open if you prefer. Start by just appreciating not needing to do anything. So all day long we've been doing many things. But right now we don't need to do anything at all. We don't need to think anything at all. We don't need to plan anything or remember anything. don't need to do anything at all. So enjoying non-busyness, enjoying freedom from activity. And take a few long, slow, deep breaths. 
with each breath, letting your body and mind relax. And there's nothing you need to do, nowhere you need to go. You can just enjoy this moment right here and right now. And choose a place in your body to focus your attention, a place to center your mind. So this might be your hands where they touch in your lap. It might be your abdomen, the center of the body. might be your nose, it might be anywhere at all, it doesn't matter. Just pick a place that's easy for you to focus on, easy for you to center the mind around. And you're going to stay with that point for the rest of the meditation. With a relaxed, alert mind, centered on the focal point. So letting the mind come to stillness, keeping attention sharp and clear, like sharpening the focus of a camera. Feeling your body with clarity and enjoying 
the sensation of your body, perceiving the body as pleasant, You might bring a slight smile to your lips. As you enjoy the pleasure of mindfulness directed to the body. If thoughts drift through the mind, take no interest in them. Pay no attention to them. Just let them drift through in their own time. Those thoughts don't concern you. Just stay focused on feeling your body, enjoying your body sharpening and stilling the mind centered in the body. So the thoughts drifting through the mind do not disturb the stillness of the mind as long as we take no interest in those thoughts.
keep magnifying the sense of pleasure in the body, building up that euphoric enjoyment that accompanies mindfulness of the body. making sure the mind stays sharp, alert, and clearly aware, but without moving even one millimeter from its place. And let the whole body be completely still, soft, and relaxed.
So as the meditation comes to an end, take a few seconds to appreciate the peacefulness of the mind. Thank you, Bhante, for guiding us in uh, meditation. And um, thank you all for joining us this evening. Hello to Miguel, Kanti, May, Huang. It's all good to see you, friend. Uh, Elaine, Yudi, Kumo, Yan, Punam, Jayanta, Gita, Roy, Sam, many friends. <laughs> all interested in. Um, knowing more about Maram. So without further ado, then I'll pass it on to uh, Bhante Sudazo who can enlighten us on the subject matter. So I'll start by paying homage to all the Buddhas of past, present, and future. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. Buddhang dhammang sanghang namasaming. So, uh, today we're going to talk about Mara. And actually, I was I was just thinking as the meditation was ending, um, I was having some some quite pleasant samadhi, and I was reminded of one sutta where the Buddha says that when the mind is deep in strong samadhi, uh, then you become invisible to Mara temporarily. So when you come out of samadhi, then you're visible to him again. But when the mind is deep in samadhi, then uh, Mara cannot see you. Uh, so for that to be relevant, it's important to know who Mara is. So what Mara is. So the Buddha talks about Mara in a few different ways in the suttas. Uh, the most common way and the way which is the easiest to relate to uh, is that Mara is the name of a particular deva. So a particular um, celestial being, uh, similar to a, an angel or a, a spirit. Um, and in particular, Mara is an extremely powerful deva. Uh, so Mara is uh, described as the lord of the Parinimitavasavati devas. So Parinimitavasavati means those who can control the creations of others. And the Parinimitavasavati devas are the highest of the um, Kama devas. So there's three ranks of beings uh, in Buddhist cosmology. So the lowest rank of beings is the Kama Loka, so the sensual world, the sensual beings. So these are beings who are characterized by their interest in sensuality, uh, their interest in bodily pleasure and bodily pain. 
So humans are part of the Kama Loka, so we're part of the sensual domain, um, which should be pretty clear. Uh, so we have these coarse physical bodies, and we tend to spend a tremendous amount of time trying to get pleasant sensations in our body um, and trying to avoid painful sensations in our body. Uh, so we're very much, uh, we tend to be very much caught up in um, the sensual experience of a body. Um, animals, of course, also a part of the, the Kama Loka, um, but they're having a much harder time of it than humans for the most part. Uh, and there are lower realms uh, than that, which are also part of the Kama Loka, uh, so sensual worlds where beings are, are constantly seeking uh, bodily pleasure and bodily pain. Um, I think the only exception to this, as I recall, Bhante Sumitta, the very lowest hell realm is mind only. They don't have a body in the lowest of the hell realms, is that right? In the hell realm? The lowest hell realm. Um, yeah, there's no body, there's just a mind. Am I right on this or am I misremembering? Uh, I'm not sure about that. I know about the, the Brahma realm with the mind only, right? Yeah, so there's the Arupa Loka, like the, the very high Brahmas where it's mind but no body. Maybe because I'm thinking of the Sutta where it talks about where all the physical matter in the universe disappears. So then there's only the mind-only devas and the lowest hell realm. Anyway, beside the point. So how do they suffer? A mental suffering. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I, we have plenty of mental suffering. <laughs> anyway, I need to look into that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it just occurred to me now. I was like, wouldn't the lowest level of hell technically not be part of the sensual world because they don't have bodies? Anyway, totally different topic because we're not talking about that. We're talking about Mara. So then above the human realm, there's several ranks of sensual devas. Uh, so celestial beings, angelic beings who live much more pleasant lives than humans, much longer lives than humans. It's much easier for them to get what they want. Uh, they don't experience uh, sickness. Uh, they, they're not as uh, prone to unpleasant experiences as humans are. Um, one of the similes for the pleasure of the devas, which has always um, stuck with me over the years, so one of the characters that uh, comes up in the, the Buddhist description of the world is um, called the, uh, the universal monarch. Uh, so the Raja Chakavati, the, the universal monarch, the um, emperor of the world. Uh, so an emperor of the world who has all the absolute best things. So they have the most pleasant possessions, um, the most pleasant uh, spouse, the most pleasant, everything. Um, so just take that as a ideal. So the ideal human life where you have basically limitless wealth, limitless power, you always get what you want, um, you've got um, the best friends, the best partners, the best everything. Well, the Buddha says that even the lowest of the devas, their life is 10 times more pleasant than that. 
So that gives you a, a little bit of a sense as to how much better it is to be a deva than it is to be a human, if you're interested in pleasure, how much better it is to be a deva. So there's several ranks of uh, sensual deva worlds above the human world. And the highest of the sensual deva worlds is the Parinimitavasavati devas. So the devas who can control the creations of others. And the most powerful deva in that realm is Mara. So of the, the three um, domains, so the sensual domain, um, the subtle material domain, and then the immaterial domain. So the highest ranking being in the sensual domain is Mara. Uh, so by far the most powerful being in the sensual domain. So powerful in terms of influence. Uh, in terms of control, in terms of the ability to dominate other people, in terms of the ability to, to get what he wants, um, and in terms of the ability to keep people under his control. Um, so devas can interact with humans, they can talk to humans, uh, they can display things to humans, they can create images in people's minds. Um, and Mara also then has all of these abilities, the ability to uh, to some degree, to distort our experience, um, to plant ideas in our mind, uh, to plant thoughts and images in our mind, um, just as, as any other uh, relatively powerful deva. Um, but Mara has these abilities to an even higher degree. So again, he's the most powerful being in the sensual realm. The most powerful unenlightened being, I should say. Uh, and Mara, unfortunately, also has a strong hostility towards Buddhism um, and a strong hostility towards anyone who's trying to attain awakening. And the reason for this is because Mara's control is dependent upon people's desires and delusions. So Buddhism, since it's all about getting rid of desire and overcoming delusion, um, is just about the biggest conceivable threat to Mara uh, in the universe. So naturally, Mara is not too happy about the existence of Buddhism. And in fact, um, when uh, the Buddha was still an unenlightened bodhisattva, uh, when the Buddha was still trying to attain awakening, uh, Mara did everything he could to stop the Buddha from attaining awakening. Um, so including summoning up a, a, a tremendous army and sending it uh, after the Buddha. Um, but the army was, was illusory. Uh, and so the, the Buddha at that point had already developed enough wisdom to recognize that this was just a trick Mara was playing, uh, that there was no substance to it, that it had no power over him. So Mara desperately tried to stop the Bodhisattva from attaining Buddhahood, uh, but Mara was not successful. So uh, again, because Mara saw that if a Buddha arose in the world, then that Buddha would help many other beings attain awakening. In other words, the Buddha would escape Mara's grasp and then help many other people escape Mara's control as well. So Mara desperately tried to stop the Buddha from attaining awakening. And then after the Buddha attained awakening, Mara went to the Buddha and, and said, oh, congratulations, congratulations, you're enlightened now. Okay, that's it, you're done, end of the story, you can die now. Nothing else to do, you're finished. And the Buddha's like, I know you, Mara, you're not fooling me. 
And the Buddha said, uh, this is very interesting because this is one of the first things the Buddha said after attaining awakening. He said, I will not pass away until I have a fully established community of bhikkhus, bhikkhunis, female lay followers, and male lay followers uh, who have attained awakening. So the Buddha makes this statement. He says he will not pass away until he's established enlightened disciples of uh, both male and female monastics and male and female lay people. Um, but so Mara gave up on that occasion, but then he continued over the course of the Buddha's life. Many times Mara came to the Buddha uh, and tried to convince the Buddha to stop teaching or to pass away or uh, hassling the Buddha or hassling the Buddha's disciples. There's many, many suttas where the Buddha comes to, especially to bhikkhus and bhikkhunis who are meditating, because this is, once again, just about the biggest threat to Mara uh, is a Buddhist monk practicing meditation. Um, so Mara would go to them and uh, he would plant distracting images in their mind or he would create distracting noises around them uh, or he would create distracting body sensations. There's one amusing sutta where Mara plunged into, I think it was Moggallana's belly. Was that correct? Moggallana's, yeah, he, he plunged into Moggallana's stomach. So gave Maha Moggallana a stomach ache while Maha Moggallana was trying to meditate. Did the same with Upalavana. The same with Upalavana. Okay, also with Bhikkhuni Upalavana. Um, yeah, if you want a, a lot of fun on this, you can read the Bhikkhuni Sanyutta, the uh, Mara Sanyutta. Uh, actually, just read all of the suttas, just to be completely realistic here. Um, but there's many in the Sangyutta Nikaya, uh, which involve Mara hassling various monastics. Um, yeah, so what does Mara do? Uh, Mara tries to encourage our defilements. Um, so that to some degree depends upon what you're interested in. Um, so if you have a lot of greed for... Mm, say, getting things done, uh, work projects and activities, um, then Mara will help generate a seemingly endless stream of things that you can get done, a seemingly endless stream of satisfying activities, seemingly endless stream of important things that will be so satisfying for you to complete. If you're interested in food, well, you might be born in Italy, for example, or Taiwan, uh, or uh, perhaps southern India. Uh, or Sri Lanka, or somewhere where there's just really absolutely fabulous food. Uh, and then you'll be constantly tempted. Uh, you'll be constantly surrounded by things that inflame your desires, things that inflame your, your passions. Uh, or if your tendency is aversion, uh, then Mara will constantly put things in your way that irritate you, uh, such as people who don't help you with your work projects. Uh, or people who don't do what you tell them to do. Uh, or people who make body noises that you dislike or who have personality traits that annoy you. Uh, or generating uh, physical sensations that are uncomfortable or unpleasant or sounds. Uh, a lot of people are really irritated by sound during meditation. 
Um, so the sound of lawnmowers or leaf blowers or the sound of other people breathing or the sound of the person next to you flailing around or the sound of uh, anything. Uh, some people, they're just annoyed by absolutely any sound. So what's going on there? Well, it might just be a sound. It might just be a random happening. Uh, or it might be Mara coming to uh, try to make you fall away from concentration, uh, trying to, to break your, your efforts at meditation. Similarly, with thoughts floating through the mind. Again, some of that just might be noise, echoes from your past mental activity. Uh, but some of it might actually be Mara uh, coming and planting thoughts and images in your mind, uh, trying to, to weaken your meditation practice. So it's very important not to take any interest in these things, uh, to just see them as the, the temptations of Mara. So when those enticing thoughts appear in your mind, just see, oh, that's just Mara trying to entice me, playing to my greed. When aversive thoughts appear in the mind, it's like, oh, well, that's just Mara trying to uh, distract me by appealing to my aversion, to my hostility. Uh, when fascinating images and daydreams appear in your mind, well, you can recognize, oh, that's just Mara playing to my delusion side, uh, trying to get me wrapped up in, in all kinds of unnecessary imaginings. So this is one of the, the major ways of, of understanding Mara, is that as an actual sentient being uh, who is, once again, a very powerful deva, um, who is very opposed to Buddhism and very opposed to Buddhist practitioners. So uh, it's also important on this note, by the way, to point out that Mara is not one specific deva, but Mara is actually a category of devas. Um, so normally when we talk about Mara, we're, we're referring to a specific being. So the Lord of Maras, uh, the most powerful of the Mara devas. But there were many other Maras, uh, lesser Maras, who were not, not quite as powerful, um, but who have mm, similar traits, uh, similar qualities. And it's interesting to note, by the way, that um, throughout this beginningless round of samsara, at some point or another, we've been Mara. Uh, in fact, several of the, the Buddha's disciples could remember their past lives as Mara. Uh, Mahamoglana, for example, remembers a, one of his past lives as Mara. So it's good to remember that, uh, that uh, we ourselves have also been in that role. And one reason this is important is it helps us to produce compassion. Uh, so what is Mara? Mara is another suffering being in samsara, another being filled with dukkha, filled with, uh, with misery and torment, um, and another being who's producing bad karma, actually extremely bad karma. So when I think of Mara, actually, my heart melts a little bit because uh, the poor guy is just making, making a huge mess for himself. Um, so in his effort to try to keep control uh, of the beings within the, the Kama Loka. He's generating tremendous bad karma. So obstructing people on the path. So I try to have compassion for Mara because he's, he's going to have a really difficult rebirth after this, after this life. 
Another way that the Buddha talks about Mara is in a more abstract way of referring to our own defilements. Um, so the greed, hatred, and delusion that appears in our mind is our own Mara, our own inner tempter, our own inner deceiver uh, that, that pulls us away from the path. So in that sense, we are our own Mara. Uh, so we don't necessarily need the help of an external being to get wrapped up in defilements and delusions. We're actually quite good at getting ourselves wrapped up in defilement and delusion. Though the external Mara does come and give us a hand from time to time. But we're quite capable of, of twisting ourselves into knots uh, without the help of other beings. So this is also a way that the Buddha talks about Mara is in terms of our own underlying tendencies towards defilement and delusion. And the Buddha also talks about Mara uh, in even broader, broader sense. Uh, so sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, and thought. So our tactile experience of the world. Um, this also is one way of, of conceptualizing Mara uh, because it is our own misunderstanding, misapprehension, misconception of our sensory world uh, that leads to defilement and delusion. Uh, so it's the misconception of the world as being composed of me, a separate individual, relating to those things over there that are separate from me. So it's basic delusion that we operate under. Uh, this delusion keeps us constantly revolving around our sense of self, constantly revolving around our self-identity. Uh, so as Bhante Sumitta was talking about yesterday, the uh, attachment to self-identity is this critical component uh, that prevents us from attaining stream entry, that prevents us from reaching even the first stage of awakening. So this is one way that Mara operates, is uh, fueling this misunderstanding that we have, fueling this delusion, I am seeing that. I am hearing that. I am smelling that. So this, this constant subject-object duality uh, grounded in a sense of self-identity, uh, a sense of separate self-existence. Because as long as we're wrapped up in the sense of self-existence, then we will not attain uh, even the first stage of awakening, uh, which means that we will remain stuck in samsara. So samsara is Mara's domain. Uh, samsara is uh, the world of mm, confusion and suffering. Uh, samsara is the world where we're constantly spinning in circles, uh, where we can be uh, led around like a puppet uh, or like a puppy, uh, either one, uh, but where we can be controlled like a puppet on strings. Um, so actually, it's it's in the Terigata, one of them. I can't remember which one, where the imagery is used of the um, of how we're like a puppet on strings, uh, and the strings are here being used as a metaphor for defilement. Uh, and so when you cut the strings, then you recognize that the puppet has no life of its own. Um, the puppet only seems to have life because it's being danced around by defilement and delusion. So it's the same. We're, we're a puppet uh, being danced around by our own defilements and delusions. Uh, but that's also what gives Mara control over us. 
if we're not controlled by our defilements, then Mara has nothing to use to control us. Uh, if we see through our defilements and we choose not to be dictated by them, then Mara has no power over us. Uh, this also is a running theme that we see in the suttas which involve people interacting with Mara, uh, is that once the people recognize, oh, this is Mara, I know what's going on here. Uh, this is Mara trying to, to break my meditation. This is Mara trying to trick me, trying to deceive me. Once they recognize that it's, it's just Mara, uh, then mm, that's like cutting the strings of the puppet. Uh, there's no longer any way for Mara to control them. So once you know, once you know, oh, this is just temptation. This is just trickery. This is just deceit. I don't need to fall for this. So in terms of our own practice, whenever you see desire arising in the mind, um, especially desire connected with the unwholesome, then you can recognize, oh, this is Mara. That mind which goes like, oh, if I just get another bowl of ice cream, then everything will be perfect. This is Mara. You might still get the second bowl of ice cream, but at least you'll do it knowing that it's Mara pushing you along. Or when you start to get annoyed with somebody else, you can recognize, oh, this is Mara. This is Mara trying to feed me with irritation. It's not the other person that's irritating me. This is the influence of Mara, and if I go along with it, then I'm going under the control of Mara. I'm no longer in the Buddha's domain, I'm in Mara's domain. Or when we're inclined towards spacing out, uh, or daydreaming, then we can again recognize, oh, this is just another way that Mara controls me. This is just another way that Mara keeps me wasting time. This is just another way that Mara keeps me playing in samsara. So samsara is his playground filled with landmines. Uh, so, and booby traps. You don't want to go on the slide, trust me. So Mara's playground, this is not a, it's not a fun place to be. It's not a happy place to be. But it does have a lot of really nice things in it. This was another realization that I had many, many years ago. So one day I was reflecting on Mara and it just suddenly struck me. Mara wants you to be happy. Why? Because as long as you're happy with the sensual things of the world, then you will not seek awakening. So Mara likes it when you get what you want. Because usually when we get what we want, we get obsessed with it. We get attached to it. We think, oh, this is happiness. This is pleasure. Not that boring renunciation stuff the monks are always talking about, but this. This sensual enjoyment, this is true happiness. Uh, so, uh, of course, Mara wants you to be happy. Mara wants you to have pleasant experiences. Uh, because when you're fixated on worldly happiness, on worldly pleasure, then you will not develop wisdom. You will not practice samadhi. Uh, you will not cultivate the path to awakening. You might cultivate parts of it. Uh, so there are mm, parts of the Buddhist path that 
if practiced by themselves, will just lead to pleasant rebirth. They'll just lead to, to rebirth as a, as a happy human or as a, as a deva, uh, or even as a Brahma, so the very high mm, celestial beings. Um, but Mara definitely doesn't want you to meditate definitely doesn't want you to, to practice mindfulness, definitely doesn't want you to practice concentration, and absolutely above all else does not want you to practice wisdom. Uh, because these are the things that weaken Mara's control over us. So Mara wants us to be happy, but only with ordinary sensual happiness, only with ordinary worldly happiness, samsaric happiness. So the temporary conditional happiness that comes from experiencing certain corners of samsara, uh, the conditional happiness that comes from uh, a self-identity being gratified in its pursuits. That's the kind of happiness that Mara wants us to have because that's the kind of happiness that does not lead to freedom from suffering and which just strengthens our attachments. So uh, these are a few thoughts on Mara. Uh, so I mentioned at the beginning, I mentioned that when one attains deep samadhi, that one temporarily blinds Mara. Uh, so when you're in deep samadhi, uh, the mind is impervious to defilement. Uh, in deep samadhi, uh, the mind is very pure, very clear, very clean. Uh, the mind is very sharp and clearly aware. Uh, so in that condition, Mara has no foothold. Uh, there's no way that Mara can plant uh, temptation in the mind. Um, so as I was saying during the meditation instructions, when thoughts appear in the mind, then we just don't pay any attention to them. We don't take any interest in them because we see them as irrelevant. Well, also when your samadhi is strong, then you'll see that those things are Mara. Uh, and that if we get involved in any of these passing thoughts, then all we're doing is we're just getting on Mara's train. Uh, we're getting on board with, with Mara at the helm. So we have no interest. When the mind is in samadhi, there's no interest in Mara's tricks. There's no interest in Mara's temptations. Uh, so they just pass right by us. Uh, and Mara passes right by us because he sees that there's nothing here that he can control. There's nothing here that he can sink his claws into. So when the mind is in samadhi, it's temporarily invisible to Mara. Mara has no foothold for a period of time. But when we emerge from samadhi, uh, when thoughts start to infiltrate the mind again, when we start falling back into interest in sensuality and towards uh, irritation and restlessness and dullness and so on, and doubt, Mara loves doubt. And when we start falling back into the five hindrances again, uh, then we become prey to Mara. Uh, then once again, he can come and, and disturb us and uh, twist us around, get us to do things that are contrary to the Buddha's teachings. So in order to completely blind Mara to our presence, it's necessary to uh, practice uh, insight, to cultivate the, the insight that leads to awakening. Uh, so practicing the perception of impermanence. So recognizing the temporary and insubstantial nature of all phenomena, uh, both physical and mental. 
And uh, most importantly is practicing the recognition that all things are impersonal, that nothing whatsoever is me or mine, uh, that nothing whatsoever can be defined in terms of, of myself. In this way, we can finally uh, blind Mara to our presence for good, we can finally destroy the ability of Mara to, to have any influence over us. So those are my thoughts for the evening on Mara. Um, so I encourage all of you to have metta for Mara. Uh, poor guy, he's making his own life really miserable as well as a lot of other people. Um, but also don't fall for his tricks. Uh, whenever you see any defilement arising in the mind, uh, just recognize this is Mara uh, and I will not go, uh, go along with it. I will not get on board with it. So I think I'll go ahead and, and end my talk there for the evening and take any questions you might have. Andamayam dhammakataya sadhukaram nadamasem Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu Thank you, Bhante, for uh, those reminders of Mara haunting us. <laughs> and uh, we have a lot of excitement from the online audience. Uh, less excitement from the <laughs> They're just defeating Mara. Um, <laughs> this passion. Bhante? I have a question. Yes, oh. please. Um, what is your thought on what makes Mara a Mara? Why is he so powerful? Mm. And, uh, why is um, Mara every every time there? And why Buddha appears only um, once in a blue moon? Mm. So Bhante Sumitta is asking, what makes Mara Mara? Like, how does one become Mara? Why does Mara have so much power? And why are Maras so common in the universe, whereas Buddhas are so rare? So briefly speaking, what makes Mara Mara, uh, first off, is extreme good karma. This is a very important point. Maras have extreme power, longevity, and happiness. Those are the products of good karma from the past. However, they also have extremely unwholesome habits. Um, so they have... Uh, again, a desire to control others, even to the detriment of other people. So the desire to keep others under their control, even if it's hurting those people. So there's a domineering sadism uh, in the mind stream of Amara. Um, and uh, again, a strong opposition towards Buddhist practice. So a recognition of uh, the antithetical nature of Buddhism to the Mara's the Mara strategy. Um, and as to why Maras are so much more common than Buddhas, well, it's because defilements are, are much more common than, than purity. Delusion is much more common than wisdom. Um, so it's not difficult to find Mara-like people in the world. Um, in fact, Mara is even a, a given name in some countries, um, <laughs> hopefully by coincidence. But there are no coincidences. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of people who have Mara-like qualities. 
who they're they're beautiful and have lots of pleasure in life and very wealthy and influential and they're really domineering and sadistic and they really want to be in control of other people no matter how much it makes those people miserable um, there are just countless beings like this in the human world so it's it's not difficult to see how if those people build up enough good karma that they could be reborn as a as a mara deva so those are my thoughts anyway though i think you could answer the question better than i could <laughs> So there are also five kinds of maras, right? Uh, can you Panchamara? explain? I don't remember. Can you explain Kandamara, the five maras? Mara, Devakuttamara, Skandamara. Um, yeah, so they are uh, different kinds of maras. Like mm -hmm. Devakuttamara is one of them. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I was uh, wondering if you... Like yeah, briefly... They relate that to, so to other defilements. Most of them are defilements. <coughs> I briefly mentioned uh, Kandamara, uh, and I mostly talked about Deva Puttamara. What were the other three again? Mara Mara, um, Deva Puttamara, uh, oh, Abhisankara Mara also. Like. Abhisankara Mara. Yeah. Hmm. So they are all kinds of different forms of defilements. Maybe you should give a talk on Mara. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have part two Mara. <laughs> and a Bhante Sumitra edition coming up. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'll also have the version from Yudi who says, sounds like my mother. <laughs> oh, Lord. I hope not. <laughs> Actually, Yudi has a lot of amusing comments throughout the, the talk. <laughs> Uh, like I was thinking, that sounds like us, the Kamaloka. Um, and then what does it mean? They can't control the creation of others, but I think you addressed it uh, mm. just right now. And actually, also, I think this one you addressed. How could such a being like Mara, the evil one, could have been reborn in a higher rank of Devas? It seems that humans are nicer than him. And I think you just um, answered that, Bantim. Yeah, I think so. But just to be clear on that. So um, again, if you build up a lot of good karma, then that will produce a pleasant result. Um, but if you also have been building up a habit towards negative tendencies, uh, then you might be reborn with very pleasant conditions, but with very nasty tendencies of mind. Um, so again, you can see countless examples of this in the human world alone. So it's, it's not hard to conceive that this also applies to the deva worlds. Yeah, there's, there's actually many suttas which involve devas who are not very nice. Um, so it's not just Mara who's a grumpy deva. There's actually a lot of grumpy devas. There's also a lot of really nice devas, but there's, there's definitely a fair number of grumpy ones. Um, and there's a whole category of devas known for their grumpiness. Um, but we'll go into that another time. Yeah. All right, thank you, Bantam. And uh, oh, good to see you, Chittapala. A long time, no see. And yes, Asli, hello. <laughs> and Tismita, you have no. Oh, I did. Okay, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Um, what is the lifespan of Mara? Well, the lifespan of Mara, I'd have to look it up. It's really long. Um, <laughs> That's a long time. Yeah. Like the lowest uh, heavenly realm, uh, one day there is um, 50 years here, oh. and they live up to 500 celestial years. 
right. it's like 90,000, 90 million. Wow. <laughs> so like, uh, and then it goes on to the other heavenly realm. And the more you go up, um, oh, wow. their longevity is much more. And then when you go to Brahma realm, it's even more. Like the Mahabrahma realm, um, that one, uh, one day is one eon here. <laughs> and so one and eon is one, about the length of a universe, the lifespan of a universe. Yeah. So that's a very long time. Mm -hmm. um, so that's probably at least 100 billion years. So um, uh, Mara would be one step down from that. So the lowest Brahma is one eon, so one universe lifespan. Mara is one step down from that. So not quite that long a life, but close. Very, very long. Yeah, so again, we're talking in the area of billions and billions and billions of years, very long life. So Mara is still around. This is an important point to remember. Mara didn't disappear just because the Buddha uh, attained awakening. Um, so Mara is still around. Yeah, yeah, same guy. And he doesn't give up. <laughs> In fact, he's probably rejoicing at, at how well, the Buddha passed away a long time ago, and there's a lot of people these days who don't like Buddhism. I mean, the Buddha's, uh, Mara's probably delighted. Um, he's probably a little disappointed about a few things, like the resurgence of Buddhism in India. <laughs> um, so I think that Mara had a party about a thousand years ago when Buddhism was wiped out from India. Um, but in the last hundred years, he's, he's probably a little bit depressed. Yeah, Buddhism's resurging in India. Um, Coming to the West. Yeah, yeah. So in Christianity, there is uh, Satan, right? Mm. And well, what is the, how do we compare Satan and Mara? So although I was raised Christian, I'm not the best person to ask comparative theology questions and because I haven't been Christian for more than 20 years now. So I just don't remember a lot of things. I remember I read uh, John Milton's Paradise Last. Mm. It's a fascinating epic. Um, <clears throat> and there it is said there is a a war between uh, Satan and uh, and the Creator God, mm. and then uh, Mara, it's like Mara. <laughs> so Satan was always trying to, you know, uh, do something against, um, challenge the the God, and then um, uh, he was very compassionate to him, and eventually he um, going he was going um, out of his um, control, like. Uh, uh, trying to attack the God, and it is said he used thunderbolt as the final weapon, the, the mighty God, and then he fell down to infinite dismal darkness, and along with uh, all his um, uh, friends, they all fell down, and it's really fascinating, and how they were trying to um, come back and uh, disturb and the, the Deva, and the Creator God, uh, because his favorite uh, Adam and Eve, <laughs> and uh, they are, so he, he tried to come and, um, what do you call, uh, attempt them. <laughs> yeah, I think that, I think that story uh, analogizes better to the Asuras, 
like how the, if I recall correctly, the Asuras used to be part of the Tabatingsa Devas, and then they were expelled, and they're constantly fighting with the Devas to try to get back. Um, so I think that's more where it would line up rather than with Mara. And, and the thing is there, uh, Satan says, uh, what we should do, we should go to the human realm and uh, occupy all the, uh, the religious places <laughs> and then uh, stay uh, right in front of them and uh, we will try to fake everything. <laughs> mm. It's really fascinating that uh, poem. I really like that. <laughs> it's very much uh, in line with the, the evil things that we have. <laughs> yeah, well, I think part of that is because um, so humans of all cultures uh, throughout human history have been interacting with um, devas and asuras and petas and so on. So they all have their own ways of describing them and their own stories about them. Um, so I mean, we call them leprechauns or fairies or pixies or ghosts or whatever words you want to use. But we're all talking, like all these different cultures are talking about their interactions with um, devas and spirits and so on. So it's it's not surprising that there's these similarities. Mm -hmm. no. Okay. Anything else? Yes, actually, there's lots of questions. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, we should... Go quickly then. So Gita asks, Bhantesudas, are the devas in the deva realms um, have bodies also made up of the great elements, for example, earth, water, air, fire, space, and consciousness? Uh, do they have also the six sense doors like humans? Um, so the lower devas, so the Kama devas and the Rupa devas um, have bodies and minds. So they do have physical bodies, though they're much more. Uh, subtle uh, and malleable than human bodies. So in that sense, you can say that they have all six elements. Um, the immaterial devas uh, do not have physical bodies. Uh, so then that would mean they wouldn't have the first four elements. Uh, would they have space? I don't think so because... Hmm. I think it's just consciousness. The immaterial devas? It's just consciousness. Um, what was the other question? Do they also have the six sense doors like humans? Um, so again, the Kama Devas and Rupa Devas, yes, all six. The Arupa Devas, the immaterial ones, um, again, they only have mind. Uh, they don't have bodies, so then they wouldn't have the physical senses. They only have mind. Um, and the, the Arupa Devas, they mostly just um, spend their lives immersed in their own mental reality. They don't really interact with other beings. So they wouldn't have any use for senses anyway. They're just immersed in their own mind all the time. Yeah, so you go ahead. Arupa Devas or Arupa Brahmas? I mean, either word. Either word. Yeah, Brahmas, Arupa Brahmas. Yeah, the, the immaterial beings, even the Buddha wouldn't, didn't talk with the immaterial beings in any sutta that I can recall. Uh, you can't really talk to them. They're just lost in their own mind for a very long time. They're just lost in their own mind. 
Yeah, so they, do, they don't have senses, they don't have bodies. They're just immersed in their own mental experience. Okay. Thank you, Bhante. And Mary says, I was away on vacation this past week. Mara came to me in the form of a piece of prime rib steak. <laughs> I almost choked to death. Oh, dear. Luckily, a doctor eating in the restaurant saved me with a Hemlich. Heimlich. Ham, Heimlich. Heimlich. Heimlich maneuver. I'm paying Mara back by becoming a vegetarian. Sad, 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 sad. Great. So there's there's a happy ending to the story. Send me some beta because this scared me very much. Yes, I, we can imagine. Well, welcome to the club of vegetarianism. Sad, sad, sad. Yeah, and, and also welcome to the club of seeing your own mortality. So uh, often this is a major wake-up call. So for many people, when they start to get really serious about their Buddhist practice is when they have some encounter with death. So either a death of, a, of someone they're close to or the tangible realization that their own death is inevitable. Uh, often that's a spark that really lights the fire of someone's practice. Yeah, so remember this. Remember, you're going to die. Are you ready? Work on it. Because next time you might not have a doctor there to do the Heimlich maneuver. So when you're choking on your veggie burger, um, you might, that might be the end of the story. So practice hard because you never know when you're going to die. But yeah, be vegetarian in the meantime. That's, that's a good way to cultivate good karma. All right, thank you, Bante. And Shadow Label asks, is Trump Amara? I don't even want to speculate on that. <laughs> I'll leave that up to you to discern on your own. All right. And Sam asks, is, is the external being or events that annoyed us Mara or our own aversion to them Mara? Mm, could be both. Um, yeah, I mean, ultimately what we're working with is our own reactivity, our own tendency to react with defilement towards things. That's what we need to work on. Um, then there's no problem, whether it's the external Mara or the internal Mara, uh, if we strengthen our own minds so that we don't react to these things, then, then we won't be under Mara's control either way. Again, the Buddha gave these different ways of relating to the concept of Mara, but either way, our, our practice remains the same. Yeah. And Kumu asks, is Mara a he? <laughs> I love the emojis that are followed by the, <laughs> by the question, Kumu. Um, actually, in a couple of suttas where it talks about the, the different Maras, uh, it does mention that some of them are female. So uh, there appear to be both male and female Maras. But the, the Lord Mara, the, the big one who's always hassling people, in the, like the one who's, who's usually the antagonist in the suttas, uh, is male. 
All right. And Scott asks, any examples of how Mara arises in the mind? I think I gave a few examples of that. Um, obsessive thoughts, um, things that just seem to keep coming over and over again in your mind. Um, yeah, desire, aversion, delusion. Uh, this is all Mara. Yeah, uh, repetitive thoughts and images that seem to be distracting or enticing during meditation in particular, um, that can be Mara. And Joy asks, does Mara arise in physical manifestations such as body illnesses or just the mind? So as I mentioned, there is the case of Mara entering people's bodies and giving them stomach problems. So, oh my gosh, maybe that's my problem. <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> sudden realizations. So uh, yeah, Mara can also have physical effects on the world. That's true. God says, I had an encounter with mental death, the complete inability to be mindful. It's not a question. That's true. It's not a question. Yes, I would say in that case, then be mindful of the lack of awareness. Just recognize this is the experience that's happening. One thing, uh, even when the mind seems completely intractable and untrainable, you can always fall back on the stance of the third person observer. So this is a practice that you can use even in the most difficult of situations. So this also applies when, for example, during meditation, if your mind is extremely agitated and just will not hold still no matter what you do, then just fall back into the stance of the observer and just observe as your mind goes completely crazy. Observe as your mind flops all over the place. Just watch. And eventually you'll start to discover that there is a peacefulness in the observation itself. So this, is, this stance is always accessible. The stance of the impersonal observer is always available. Um, so even if it seems like you're incapable of being mindful, just fall back into observing what it feels like to be incapable of mindfulness. And in doing that, then you will start to develop a certain degree of serenity and wisdom, and also your mindfulness will start to reappear. All right, and that was the last question. And Como ends with the comment, thinking of Mara as a tool to get better is really great. <laughs> yeah, actually, I second that thought. Any other questions or thoughts here? No? All good? Oh, Santis Mita. Yes, please. It's a little so, intimidating to have a 30 Vasa monk <laughs> asking me questions, but go ahead. <laughs> but it will be useful, I guess. Um, I think, yeah, as you said, um, um, Brahma realm and the Deva realm, they have um, kind of hierarchical differences. Mm. And Mara being the, uh, the foremost among the, the highest Deva realm, uh, what does he role uh, in the, the Brahma realms? What is Mara's role in the Brahma realms? Mm -hmm. What is the power hierarchy? Wow. Um, 
<laughs> you know, I'm not sure this comes up in the suttas anywhere. I'm not sure it's actually talked about. Um, but in my um, observation, like as you said, when you are in the deep samadhi, like all the Brahman actually they are in deep samadhi. Yeah. So hopefully he's not going to see any of them. <laughs> you might be right. You might be right that Mara, since the Brahmas are effectively in samadhi, that Mara wouldn't be able to interact with them. You might be right. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, they still have their own defilements, though. Yeah. So as long as they are in the the, the jhanic mods, they are fine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the the problem with brahmas is that um, they tend to have um, self centeredness, so some degree of of sakayaditi, of self identity. Yes. They do um, attachment to existence. And also um, the ego that I live forever. Something. Yeah. Like uh, the Brahma Bhaka, who believed he was immortal and eternal. Um, and there is also a story where Kuhuka, or what do you call it, a Brahma was trying to argue with the Buddha. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think yeah. it is Kuhuka, right? It, it, yeah, that sounds a familiar. Or a Brahmin. Sure. But oh, I, I think there was a case with the Brahma. Mm. We should organize. Uh, a talk uh, between you and uh, Ajahn Punadamo. Oh, yes. Yes, I you would love so. Ajahn Punadamo. He knows all the details of Buddhist cosmology. Yeah, it's his specialty. <laughs> yeah. No, he could have these, this kind of conversation with you. Yeah. And I remember, like, there is a story where a monk was meditating and the Mara came to disturb him. And then uh, the monk uh, recognized this is the Mara. Mm. So what he said, like, uh, um, so um, he he um, he signed that I know you, I recognize you. And then he said yes, I am the Mara. And then uh, he was he wanted to actually uh, disturb distract his meditation. And he said, Are you are you sure you are Mara? Uh, what, are you so powerful? Yes, I am so powerful. Do you think you can create anything? Yeah, I can create anything. He said, okay, why don't you, do you think you can create even the Buddha? I do that. I do that. <laughs> <laughs> so what he did that, he actually created the Buddha and the monk was looking at the Buddha, he meditated, he became Arahant. <laughs> I'll keep that trick in mind. So, if, <laughs> so the moral of the story is: if Mara comes to you, ask him to create an image of the Buddha for you. Probably this lesson. Oh, <laughs> good point. Good point. You had to, you had to find another way yeah. to trick him. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's. Actually, Jayanta has a question: Will Mara go to hell during all this bad karma? Yes. Yes, this is one reason I said it's important to have compassion for Mara, because Mara is going to be spending an extremely long time in hell uh, for all the harm he's done to the Buddha Sasana. So that's not going to be pleasant for him. Yeah, so have compassion for Mara. He's, he's headed down fast and hard after this life. So on that cheerful note, it's now almost nine o'clock. Um, so I think we should go ahead and end for the evening.
Sure, and one second. Um, shout out label, your question. Uh, since it was off topic, you can actually bring it back uh, tomorrow for monk chat. Uh, type it in for monk chat and there will be a panel of monastics who can um, can answer how do i become a buddhist while remaining catholic <laughs> for for more info on this <laughs> tune in on monk chat tomorrow so thank you everyone for joining us this evening good to see you also putrika and melissa um and thank you bante for sharing uh, these words of tamas so we'll be meeting again tomorrow at 8 a.m new york city time with bante sumita again for the last uh, um episode of his workshop <laughs> on the stages of awakening um, um, and then on saturday uh, at 10 30 a.m there will be um the second class with the venerable sakya damadina who is um kindly tuning in from india to share teachings on the abhidhamma so it will be introduction to abhidhamma part Two. So if you missed part one, you can search it on our cha channel and then do part two with her at uh, 10.30 a.m. on Saturday. And if you're um, around in the monastery on Sunday, we will be practicing the whole day for the Upasata. We'll also live be live streaming um, the precepts, etc. Uh, so you're all welcome and the teachings, uh, whatever is happening on Sunday. We don't know, you don't know, you'll see. <laughs> and next week we will be, the Sangha will be on retreat, but there will be uh, a blast from the past with uh, Venerable um, Ajahn Punadamo who had given a retreat with Buddhist Insights several years ago. So we will be um, replaying the recordings on the online channel at the same time. So you can always tune in at the same times and find uh, new teachings um, of the Buddha. All right, so that's all. And um, we can end with three sadhus. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. sadhu.